You may be seated. You didn't do that last night. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Everybody just stands up for no one parent. What was I supposed to do? All right, he's not going to tell me either. All right, well, that was interesting. I could tell you a joke about Lutherans who stand up and sit down, but we won't do that. Um, my name's Tony Cook, and uh, I have to ask what that was next time. Um, it's tradition, all right. Um, I'm Tony Cook. I am the executive director of U.S. Ministries, which means I uh, lead a great team of people who attempt to get the gospel out in North America, not unlike yourselves. I studied a little bit of the history of this town and of this church. I was overwhelmed uh, with how Frankenmuth came into being and the history of this church in its gospel proclamation. A call over to the homeland asking for willing souls to come and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a brave and new world. And your ancestors heeded that call. Our goal is that generation after generation might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Passing on our faith is of ultimate concern for many of us here in the room. Many of us have family members, children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews who do not know who Jesus is. With all of our heart, we desire to pass that gospel on, that message of faith in Jesus Christ from one generation to the next. From the beginning of time, God has always wanted his people to know who he is and what his will is for those lives. In our text for today, Romans 10, in order to understand it, we hear Paul quoting a set of words that was actually spoken by the prophet Moses. So if we travel all the way back in time, all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy where the law was restated, we see the people of Israel. Now as you recall, they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 long years and that time had finally come to an end. Their wandering was over and there all of Israel stood on the east side of the river Jordan. The land that God had promised them was right there. It was right across the river. That land was waiting to be entered. It was waiting to be conquered. It was waiting to be possessed by the people of God. But first, before they could cross over that threshold, before they could enter into the promised land, the covenant that had been made between God and his people Israel had to be renewed. Because think about it, it had been 40 years. People who were children when that trek began were now adults. People who were adults had become aged. People who were aged had passed on and now there were babies that had been born that had never ever seen the foot of Mount Sinai. So before crossing over, they needed to be reminded of who God was and whose they were as people of the Lord. So as they stood by the shores and they waited to cross over, Moses one last time recounted the law and the covenant to a new generation of Israelites, placing before them the word and promise of God and calling on them to make a choice, to choose between obedience and disobedience, to choose between life and death. Listen to Moses' words. 
For this commandment I command to you today, and it is not a difficult one. Neither are these words far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to the skies and bring it to us so that we might hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the seas, so that we should say, Who should we send to cross over the seas and bring the message back to us so that we can hear and do? No, Moses says, the word of God is right here. It is near you. In fact, he tells us it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can hear and you can obey. See, my friends, he says, what I set before you today before you cross over to the other side is life or death, good or evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord that I command you today, your loving God will be with you as you cross over. If you keep his commandments and his statutes and his rule, then you will multiply and be fruitful when you come into that land in which you are about to take possession of. But, he says, if you turn your heart away from God, if you close your ears and do not hear, you will be drawn away from him. You'll be drawn away to the worship of other gods. You will surely perish. You will not flourish in the land that he is about to give. Now, 1,000 464 years later, 1,464 years later, Paul writes a letter to the book of Romans. And listen to what Paul says. For Moses writes about righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does these commandments shall live and prosper. But the righteousness that is based on faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Jesus down, or will say who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Jesus up from the dead. But what does it say? It says this, the word is near you. The word is in your mouth. The word is in your heart. That is, Paul says, the word of faith. The very word of the gospel that I proclaim to you. And if you hear this word and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here we have two great church leaders, Moses and Paul. Both proclaiming to the people in front of them that the word that they need is near. That the word that they need is in their heart. It is on their lips. But what we discover from this chapter in the book of Romans is that Paul is speaking about a very different kind of word. You see, until that time, those who followed God, the Israelites, attempted to be right with him based on what they did, on works of the law, on works of righteousness that were not based on Jesus, but on the commands that God had given them on Sinai. But unlike Moses, Paul is not simply retelling God's law for a third time. 
Paul instead is delivering them a brand new word, a word of Christ, a word of faith that brings them life. So, if we read through this chapter and we ask ourselves, what is this word of faith telling us about Jesus? we discover some very amazing and exciting things. The first is this. Paul tells us that Jesus is the end to righteousness by works of the law. He tells us that Jesus has completed that part of history, that he has fulfilled the law that God has placed on Sinai, and that it is no longer through that fulfillment of the law that we are right with God. Imagine if our salvation were based on our ability to follow the commands of God. Imagine if our personal diligentlessness and our faithfulness to God was the reason that we either entered into his kingdom or were cast aside. But instead, God sent his son a new word. And Jesus lived his life in such a way that he fulfilled all of those laws. And now he becomes the righteousness for all who believes. In fact, Jesus is the righteousness of God. Jesus is God's will for this world expressed in human form. And in Jesus, that great distance has been bridged. You heard Paul's words quoting Moses, just tweaking them ever so slightly, comparing them to Jesus. We do not need to go into heaven to find this message because Jesus has descended. He was incarnate. He lived. We do not need to go to Hades and hell to find Jesus and bring him up because he's already done that. He descended into hell. He proclaimed victory over the grave and he rose again. Righteousness is based off of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is a righteousness that is found in his word. A word that is close to each of you, that is on your lips and in your heart. And finally, the most glorious thing that Paul has to proclaim is that faith in Jesus and calling on the name of Jesus is a path to salvation for all who believe. Those who trust and cling to Jesus and all that he has done, who own for themselves the life and ministry of Jesus, who are buried and united with him in his death and resurrection through the waters of baptism, these people call on Jesus and they are saved. A promised land prepared for them a new kingdom, a kingdom of God. So what is this kingdom like? The Apostle Paul explains. This kingdom is not an exclusionary group. This kingdom is not for one ethnicity, for one race, for one socio-political class. No, this kingdom holds no distinction. The kingdom of God and the gospel is for all. It is for the Jew and it is for the Gentile. It is for the rich. It is for the poor. It is for every person ever born on the face of this earth. Without distinction, God desires their ears to hear and their hearts to believe who Jesus is.
He wants all to celebrate what you already know. That salvation and life in Christ comes through grace and the gift of faith. That we receive this freely, not because what we have done, but simply through the working of the Holy Spirit as we hear and meditate upon that word, that word that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is with us. In the same way that his testimony is here before us today, Jesus, that powerful word, is with us as well. For those who believe Jesus Christ himself and the full Godhead tabernacle with us, dwell within us, and that word is simply there to be shared, ever presence in our hearts and our minds so that others might know who Jesus is. And the final thing that we learn about the kingdom, which you should identify with, is that the members of the kingdom are sent. They are sent over long distances, perhaps overseas as your ancestors traveled, or maybe simply across the street or around the corner. For today, my friend, the world has come to us. Every nation, every tribe dwells around us in our cities and our streets, but still we are sent to heed that call to proclaim the gospel so that they too might know. You have been sent like the messengers of old with a wonderful message and beautiful feet, helping those who live in despair and turmoil and the pain of this life, that they might know that there is another way. That they might know that God is not their enemy, but that God is on their side in Jesus, and that Jesus is calling out to them, offering them a way back home. You see, my friends, Jesus is your righteousness too. You don't have to worry about all of those things that we have done, wondering if God will condemn us, wondering if God will cast us away. We don't have to measure and wait out our good and our bad deeds, hoping on our deathbed that we've done enough to be let into the kingdom of God. You see, my friends, this is where the Jesus of message is far superior than any other. For this message tells you that you do not need to worry about possessing salvation, for in Jesus, you already have it. You are already saved. You are already members of his eternal kingdom. Saved not by anything you have done or failed to do, but instead saved by Jesus' death, resurrection, the grace that comes from his father. This is your identity. You are children of God. Regardless of what you think, regardless of what people say, Jesus Christ gave his life for you, and you have been saved. And that story and that message of what Jesus has done for us is right here. And it's right here for people to hear that they might know what Jesus has done for us in our lives and what he has done for them as well.
But as the scripture passage says, how will they call on him unless they have heard? And how will they believe unless someone is sent? You, my friends, are those people who are sent out into the world. You already know. You already know the name of the next person that God desires you to share the message of Jesus with. You don't have to look hard to find those who aren't here. You don't have to look hard for those who are still lost and don't know who their father truly is. And all God asks is that you share with them what is already close. You don't need to travel to St. Louis or to Fort Wayne and go to seminary. You don't need to go to Wittenberg or Heidelberg to understand the history so that you might speak it. It's a simple message that you already have. I was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus is my Lord. He died for me, and he died for you. So I tell you, my friends, now is your time. Now is your time to go into the world and to proclaim that message, to have those beautiful feet of the messenger, and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ without works, without attachment, without cost to those who do not know him. To provide them not with an empty law they cannot fulfill, but instead to provide them with a fountain of grace that overflows in Jesus Christ. And we pray that when they hear, they too will confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, and they too will be saved. Saved by grace, through faith in Jesus, ready to cross into the promised land, standing at the banks of eternity, waiting to cross over and live with him everything fulfilled and nothing to remember other than Jesus has done it all. In Jesus' name, amen.